In this chapter, we have been hearing from the Apostle Paul about God's uh, plan and purpose for the world. And as part of chapter 8, the focus is glorification, that there is a future glory for God's people, those following Jesus, to look forward to. And he wants Christians to be fully assured that what God has promised to do, it cannot be stopped. And in these verses and in this chapter, he wants us to know in the face of suffering that we shouldn't doubt our future salvation. So what difference do these verses make to real life today? Why should you listen this morning? Because these verses are talking about real life circumstances, what happens to us day by day, and that in all things, all the circumstances of life, including suffering and tragedy, we can continue to trust in God. So if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're exploring, you're here this morning, but you don't know too much, these verses help you to, to understand something about the Christian life and why Christians in the face of suffering would continue to trust their God, that he is good, and to follow Jesus, his son. So in all things, in suffering, the unexpected news, a message or phone call, the unexpected results, in meltdown moments of life, thinking mainly about family life here, but everybody can have their meltdown moments, whatever they, they are like, where it just seems all out war, still thinking about family life, or chaos, when it's one of those days, one of those weeks, one of those months, in unexpected moments where we feel frustration, caused by delayed travel or maybe an unexpected flat tire, which has consequences for the rest of our day. When we realize that we are not in control and tempted to despair or forget that God is there with us and in control. These verses are here for everyday living, not just in case of emergency, Romans 8, break the glass. They're for everyday living because in these verses, they help us to understand the context for all of life for the Christian and why the Christian can have confidence in God's purposes day by day. You see, otherwise, how we will think is it is, it is what it is. What's happened, it is what it is. And we can't go any further than that. Or we might go towards despair or feeling this is pointless, resulting in anger, hopelessness, helplessness, or thinking it's all down to me, I've been abandoned. You see, in those moments of suffering and tragedy, of the unexpe unexpected, what we're getting is just a slither. You, you know that you, you offered some dessert and that's when you say, just a slither? You, you, you mean just a thin bit? Well, what we're getting in those moments is just a, a slither, a snapshot of life at a moment. There was an advert on TV a few years ago where it showed an angry person running down the street. I, I, I think a skinhead 
probably from Scotland, running down a street. And initially, when you see this, that's all you see. It's got herring down the street, and you think, this is bad news. But then the camera pans back to surprise us to show that an old lady's been mugged, and he is actually pursuing the robber. But you only get that with the wide, the wide angle, that this is actually a picture of something good happening. And so here in these verses, we're being given the wide-angle shot from God's perspective to help us in those narrow moments, not to be overcome or overwhelmed. The big picture of what God is doing. And so we have some of the most loved and precious verses in the Bible, which are like a pillow to weary souls and weary heads, weary heads. You like a pillow, don't you? So this is better than it is what it is. This is comfort and encouragement. And so let's pray and ask that we would receive those things. We need this. Father, we ask that you would help us as we look at these verses now. Help us to see why we can have confidence if we are trusting Jesus that your purposes will come to pass, that they are good and unstoppable. Give us comfort, give us encouragement, give us hope afresh in Jesus now. In his name we pray, amen. Looking back to verse 27, we see that Paul mentions there the will of God, and now he goes on to tell us what God's will is for every single Christian. Look at verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We're going to see our first heading up here, I hope. Um, God's purpose in all things is good. I'll explain the visual in a moment. God's purpose in all things is good. You see, what we feel in the moment of all things is very different. And here Paul is saying in verse 28, what we know outweighs what we don't know. For the Christian, what we know about God outweighs what we don't understand in terms of what is happening. So even in the hard things, in the heartaches, somebody put it like this, thus all that is negative in this life is seen to have a positive purpose in the execution of God's eternal plan. Telling ourselves this is very, very hard sometimes, that in all things God is working for his good. Being able to say, well, this is not what I expected, but it seems that God knows better, that God has a better plan, a better way for me to go. And so the illustration of the tapestry is a helpful one. When we look at the wrong side of the tapestry, all we see is a mess of threads, uh, unfinished and torn and not showing anything. And sometimes that is how we see life. 
leaving us just with questions. But when we see the other side, we see the full picture and we see from God's side what he is doing, how he is working out his purposes which are for good. So verse 28, in all things God works. It is God who is working ceaselessly, energetically, purposefully. He's active on our behalf, the behalf of his people. He is sovereign and in control. He is the directing force behind all of life's events. I don't know how you are when it comes to flying. I don't know if we've got any pilots here. Maybe we've got some wannabe pilots. I don't know if you've ever sat in 37B or somewhere like that, and you feel like you want to have the joystick in your hand. You hit turbulence, and it's going up and down, left and right, and you would like to be in the cockpit, but you're no, you're no use up there unless you're a trained pilot. The person who's qualified to fly the plane is sat in his seat. You're a passenger in 37B, and from 37B, you cannot fly the plane. You have to merely trust the pilot. And that is a picture of life in trusting our Heavenly Father who knows what he is doing. He is working for the good, the verse says. What is the good? His good is the ultimate, final salvation. Not just getting us through today, but getting us to glory. We'll see more of that in verses 29 to 30, but Jonathan Edwards um, said this. He, he was a theologian, theologian from bygone age with words that still ring true today. He said this, our bad things turn out for good, our good things can never be lost, and the best things are yet to come. That the Christian, because of what they understand about God and his purposes, knowing that he works for good, can say, our bad things turn out for good, our good things can never be lost, and the best things are yet to come. God is working to a great future goal for his people. Everything in life is happening to fit and achieve that. Life is not the random mess which it may sometimes appear. Paul has said what his people know in verse 28 is that in all things God works for the good of who? Of those who love him and those who have been called according to his purposes. To those who love him, this is the promise. God has made a people with a new heart who love him. And to those who have been called according to his purpose. Stott, John Stott, another commentator, writes in these verses, we do not always understand what God is doing, let alone welcome it. Nor are we told that he is at work for our comfort. 
but we know that in all things he is working towards our supreme good. And this echoes what we find through the whole Bible, going back to the reading in Genesis and the story of Joseph where his brothers tried to only do him harm and his testimony about God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Many of you will know the great verse in Jeremiah which speaks along these lines. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And Peter, when he preached about what happened to Jesus on the cross, he said, fellow Israelites, listen to this. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. All to achieve God's great purpose of saving many. God's purpose in all things is good. And secondly, God's purpose in all things is unstoppable. You see the second slide with this heading. Paul continues to elaborate on God's purpose. You see, if we only had verse 28, we might be left wondering, how is God's purpose going to be fulfilled? Because rather than seeing it fulfilled now, we're just continually confronted with suffering and hard things in, as we live in this fallen world. But Paul wants us to understand why God's purpose is unstoppable. He starts by telling us a little bit more about God's purpose. It is, in summary, to glorify Christians and Jesus. In, verse 20, in, in chapter 8, he, he has been talking about a world that is broken and frustrated in sin, but it is God's plan to make that world new and perfect. And it will be ruled by Jesus and his people. Look back at verse 17 just to get a feel for that. Chapter 8, verse 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. There is, is God's purpose for his people to be glorified with Jesus. This is what God is working towards for you and I. Verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Do you see how in the first line of 29, it talks about being conformed to the image of Jesus? And at the very end of verse 30, it talks about those people will also be glorified, conformed and glorified. So the question now is, how will this happen? 
And we've got five big words to work through. So if you want to say a silent prayer, switch on, concentrate, ask for help. Each of these big words is like an unbreakable link in a chain of how God is saving and working salvation, going from past to present to future. They go from the beginning in God's mind to its consummation in coming glory. Here's the first link, foreknowledge. Verse 29, for God foreknew, those God foreknew. This is not just a knowing of facts that God knew in advance who to choose because those were the people who would later believe of their own accord in Jesus. This knowledge is actually relational. It's going all the way back to the start and beyond because God who is eternal is outside of time and it's saying that in his mind God outside of time before the beginning of everything knew in relationship his people Christopher Ash puts it like this long before a Christian knows God God has known him or her and entered in anticipation into relationship if you're trusting Jesus today, your relationship was started with God before the beginning of everything. That's the first link. The second link is those that he foreknew, he also predestined. predestined. The word predestination means decide upon beforehand. To decide upon beforehand, it follows on from God's foreknowledge. He had decided upon us. So a decision is involved in the process of becoming a Christian, a real decision where people have to choose to follow Jesus. But the doctrine of predestination said that Jesus, uh, God had first decided upon us. It's God's decision before it can be ours. Now, there's so much more to say on this. And if all that's coming to your mind is questions, I suggest we grab a chat afterwards. I won't be hiding, I'll be there, but we will probably need some strong coffee to talk this through. But come and chat. You see, the irony is that even for lots of Christians, predestination troubles many, leaving them wondering, am I really chosen? Am I really part of God's people? When actually, predestination is a doctrine in the Bible given for our assurance, not to cause us anxiety, to give us deep assurance that we belong to God. I came across this illustration as I was preparing. I found it really helpful. It says this, the entrance to the Christian life is like going through an archway. As we approach from the outside, we see a Bible verse written over the archway, and it's the words of Jesus, come to me all who labor and are weary. Sorry, all who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, Jesus says. For those who go through the archway in response to his words, they look back and they see more words on the inside of the arch as they pass through. And it's another Bible verse that says, chosen from before the foundation of the world. 
you see, both are equally true. There has to be a real choice to follow Jesus. But on looking back, we give thanks to God for what he has done in choosing us. You see, in the Bible it says both. All are invited to come, but those who come learn later that they're coming and also their continuing was entirely by the grace of God. Were it otherwise, none of us would persevere in the face of suffering and trials. The doctrine of predestination is, is not to make Christians complacent or arrogant, but to make them humble, assured, and to keep them persevering and trusting God in trials. You'll see here in verse 29 that predestination is, is really God's foreknowledge being put into effect. So do you see the purpose to what purpose this what purpose this accomplishes? Verse 29, to be conformed to the image of his son, to, to be made perfectly Christ-like. And the last part of verse 29, uh, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, that we should be part of a Christ-like family, the firstborn of many. Jesus is the firstborn of many others, his family, made like him. He's the only one who perfectly lived and showed God's glory to the world. But in him, Christians are being renewed in the image of Christ. Engravers and tool cutters and, and key cutters used to use a machine which would work on the original to produce a copy. And as the original traced round, as the original was traced round and over, over here, the other part of the apparatus would be etching out the exact image, the engraving. That is what is happening inside the Christian that the character of Christ is being formed and made in process through life in each and every Christian, a day by day, moment by moment, change by his grace in the power of the Spirit. That's what we've been hearing again and again in Romans. We should move on. The third link is calling. So we're in verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. Calling here is not the open invitation that calls people. It's the effective call of God that gives life to the dead. It's what draws a person. It's how we explain how you heard the gospel many, many times but then one day you made a response because of God's calling that day. It, it's, it's how lots of people can be sitting here in the gospel and one person hears it for the first time and that day they respond because God has called them and they've heard his voice. Jesus said this, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Because God alone is sovereign 
in saving people. And that is why, as Christians, we give thanks to God in our prayers. And that is why we pray for others, because we know that only God can save and draw. So that's the third link, two to go. Those he called, he also justified. Stott says this about justification. We've been going over this again and again. He says it's more than forgiveness or acquittal or even acceptance. It is what God declares to be true about sinners. Now they are righteous in his sight. He looks at the sinner who's trusting in Jesus and joined to Jesus, and he sees Christ's righteousness. It is what we could call or describe an alien righteousness, something that I have been given, not of my own, but from another source, from Jesus, given to us so that the person who's joined to Jesus by faith is declared righteous. Jesus He's taken our sin and become sin for us. And he's given us his righteousness. Justification, an unbreakable link. And lastly, glorification. Those he justified, he also glorified. The focus in this chapter is about getting to glory. But notice here how this is put in the past tense though it's a future event. Why is it written in the past tense? Because along with all these other things, the event itself, though it's future, is as good as done. Because God says it will happen. It's his promise. So these five links that are unbreakable, this is why God's purpose is unstoppable. Do you notice that as we went through, it kept repeating those and those and those? He also, he also. The point is that all those for whom God begins the process, he completes it. These things all apply to the same people. It's not that you've got one but not the other. He's saying this is what will, is true and what will happen for all. If you've got four, the fifth tick is guaranteed. Everyone who goes through each of these stages, they'll go through all of these stages without exception. It's unbreakable links that make God's purpose in all things unstoppable. I asked Corin to find me an image for unstoppable. I think she did pretty well. If you've ever stood in front of any size of breaker on the beach at the edge of the sea and felt the force, how it washes through you. God's purposes are unstoppable. Whatever is happening in all things, God's purposes are unstoppable. We're given in these verses which angle, the wide angle, so that we can have confidence whatever we are facing. Paul writes in another letter about completion. The good work he has started in the Christian, he will carry on to completion. 
So in the big circumstances, and so the, in the big things and the small things of daily circumstances, Paul wants us to know God is in control. He's sovereign. He really does rule over his world and that our lives are really in his hands. So that this is a particular comfort for Christians who are facing trials, who in the present find reasons to doubt their security. Paul says, no, in all things, trust your God. And that is what we should do as we go out this morning. Confidently urge one another to trust God, to continue to follow Jesus in all circumstances. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for these verses and the truths in them, and for this precious pillow. We pray that it would bring us comfort, not just today and in this moment, but day by day, that we would recognize that this is the context of life for all who are joined to Jesus and that we would continue even in the face of all things to have a confidence because of him that your purposes in all things are good and unstoppable that it would be for his glory in Jesus name we pray amen